0: Acts chapter six verses eight through fifteen is where we'll be this morning. Uh, When I first became a believer, uh, I realized that Jesus was the reason my sins could be forgiven. I realized that it was Jesus that only through Jesus that I would be granted eternal life. And so, when I was became a believer at eleven years old, I would have told you that it was all about Jesus. However, later, shortly after that, actually, I quickly fell into a trap that I'm going to refer to as legalism. And this is where I thought that, yes, Jesus has saved me. Uh, However, if I want to keep God happy with me, I have to look, dress, and act a certain way. And one of the reasons why I began to think that way was because of where I heard the gospel. I became a believer at this sort of uh, uh, fundamentalist Christian school. And I'm thankful that I did hear the gospel there But one of the reasons why I fell into legalism was the way that they taught me what a disciple looked like from that point on. And and that came from how it was all about rules. And so legalism, it even showed up in the curriculum that I had. Every day I studied a particular subject, being math or social studies or grammar. It would be a short comic book in the curriculum that I was given where it would show you sort of a moral story of what a good Christian is supposed to look like and then what a non-Christian looks like over here. And the moral was, don't be like the non-Christian, look like the good person over here. And I tried to think of some of these stories where these comics that I saw over the years and try to um, share them with you, but after a quick Google search, I was actually able to find some of these short comics online. And I want you to see some of these stories because I want you to see how quickly one might fall into a legalistic trap from seeing Christianity this way, thereby forgetting the importance of the gospel. So, the first slide I'll show you was this character named Ace Vircheson. And he was the perfect example for what a Christian kid looks like nice, parted hair. Your shirt tail's tucked in. He's a faithful American, obviously, and he cares for you, and he loves you, and uh, he does everything right. And the other slide is his friend, Christy, who she grew up later, um, and by the way, they grow up with your age, so that was like third grade curriculum probably, and as you go up, you, they grow up with you. So Christy, she said, you know, her mom says, You did a good job, Christy. Thank you, mother. I'm glad I obeyed. Yes, obedience always makes us happy. And so you're left with this sort of mentality. A good Christian girl is Christy, which is kind of like Christian, um, and Ace is the good Christian boy that you're supposed to be like. And they also had this friend who wasn't quite as good, but He stayed faithful. His name was Racer. And Racer was always influenced by this non-believer named Ronnie. And as you can see in this clip, Ronnie is trying to give Racer cigarettes. He says, hey, Racer, I found some cigarettes. Let's have one. He says, yuck, they stink, and they hurt your lungs. They cause cancer, and they kill people. Which is, I was not... I know that cigarettes kill people. They cause cancer and kill people. That's interesting. Besides, I have given myself to Jesus, and he doesn't want me to smoke even one cigarette. Lord Jesus, I know you are pleased with my decision. Please let Ronnie see you through my life. Amen. And this is the way that I would have understood the gospel and the way a Christian kid would be uh, growing up. Ronnie later becomes more and more influential. In the next slide, Ronnie kind of smarts off to this kid's dad, and he says, don't mind him, grandfather or grandfather. Ronnie's not a believer. As you can tell, he has a problem with authority. Everything bends him out of shape. That's a shame. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight reminds us that a man who has no control over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Darn that non-believer Ronnie. And then it goes on, Ronnie's life falls apart, and it starts to show you, don't do this. So Ronnie gets into a car accident, of course. Life has a cool. you got out of this alive. I'm so sorry about your friend, though. Su- Susie's dead, dead because I thought I could get away with it one more time. Later at the police station... What's going to happen to him, officer? Even though the other driver was fault, it's, not, it's going to go hard on him. No insurance and no license. Ronnie should know better, but he's not a believer, right? And then the dad reflects, what a man sows, he also reaps. Don't be like Ronnie. This is the moral of the story. Be like Ace, be like Christy, be like Racer. The perfect examples For Christian kids. Ironically, when I was going through this, there was a kid in my classroom named Ronnie who looked like that kid and did a lot of the same things as that kid. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to be like Ronnie. So that's the way I grew up. You can take the slide down so it doesn't creep everybody off. Um, That's the way I grew up, and that's the way I understood the gospel. That's the way I understood a disciple. You have to look, you have to dress, and you have to act a certain way. Ironically, this mindset is exactly the mindset that opposed the gospel in the book of Acts. As the church was growing and moving, people's lives were being changed as the gospel continued to move forward. And last week we even saw in the text that um, they needed more leaders so that the gospel could move forward. However, it was the religiosity of the unbelieving Israelites that despised the gospel from moving forward. And what you have are people who are so stooped in religious pride where grace is absent. And So the only way we can fight this mindset that we see in the religious crowd in Israel is that we have to be people who are full of grace. And fortunately here in the text, we're going to see a person who is full of grace. And that's the big idea that I have for us this morning. I want us to see what it would look like for us to be people who are full of grace. So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 6. I'll actually start in verse 7. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of Freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So here we have a man named Stephen, and I love what the text says about him. It says that he was a man who was full of grace. Maybe that may that be us this morning and he was one of the seven men who were chosen to assist the elders in helping the gospel so that it would continue to move forward and some would say and and I would agree with this that they were the first deacons of the church. Deacon in the Greek means servant. It to serve the church so that the gospel would go forward. And so you have these seven men who served the church so that people's needs would be met and the gospel would go forward. And there's some unique things about Stephen that I want you to see that show up here in the passage. It says that he, he did signs and wonders. And he did signs and wonders just like the apostles and we did signs and wonders because what that did is it authenticated the message that he was full of the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was full of. This is why, over and over and over again, we're going to see signs and wonders being done at the hands of the apostles and those who followed Christ because they authenticated the message that Jesus spoke. And his opposers, they could not withstand. The wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And, and again, this is exactly what we saw with the apostles. Stephen would have been a common man. This is almost exactly what we saw in the, in the few chapters earlier with Peter and John. If you can remember back in Acts chapter 4 verse 13 when the Sanhedrin, they seized Peter and John for preaching the gospel It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. First and foremost, this is why Stephen was a man who was full of grace. He was a believer, which means he had the same Holy Spirit working in his life as did the apostles, and he worked in the life of Jesus. And I think this is important for us to see this morning. Stephen wasn't this spectacular person before that Jesus saved and it became even better. No, Stephen would have been a common man. However, what people knew about Stephen was that he was full of grace. A few weeks ago, uh, I did a funeral. And I do a lot of weddings here in Integrity. I don't typically do a lot of funerals, which is a good problem, right? But I did this funeral where... um, I began to think after I did this funeral, I didn't know the lady very well. And after I finished, I began to think, what are people going to say about me at my funeral? And I began to think, okay, well, I hope that they don't say anything bad, right? But I also just don't hope they don't say anything good either. I want them to boast in Christ and what Christ did. So I came up with this idea that because of the way technology is now, I can do my own funeral message and record it ahead of time. And then when I die, they just show me talking about Jesus at my funeral. That, I think that's, I need to do that soon, just in case I die, so I don't screw that up. Um, but I'll tell you, that's what I want to be said. It's all about what Jesus has done. One of the easiest funerals I have done would actually, by the world standards, seem like the hardest. It was a young man who grew up in, my, in the youth group that I had led for about four years in Roanoke Rapids. His name was Grant. And He was a young man who, by the world standards, did not have it all together. He had about a sixth grade education. Uh, his reading level was about a third or fourth grader. Dropped out of high school. Really bad family life. Dad was in prison. And uh, I remember he worked at a rest stop. And he would call me from this rest stop. And we'd talk over the phone about scripture, about the gospel. Became a believer later in high school. And by the world standards, people would say that he was a loser. But I knew him as a believer. And he could communicate the gospel in his own way. And everywhere he went, he would present the gospel with people. And I remember when he... um, I got a phone call. I was actually at a wedding. I got a phone call that Grant had been in a motorcycle accident. He was on a moped and rode out in the road and slammed the brakes on some rocks and slid out in front of a, a truck, and he was killed on impact. And I was like... They asked me, would you do this funeral? And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so difficult, such a traumatic thing to happen to a 20-some-year-old guy. And, but as I got up and before I got up and spoke, they had different people in the crowd get up and talk about Grant and his life and different people in the community that he lived in. He lived in Enfield, North Carolina, a really small town. And every single person, the police officer, the librarian, the fireman, the guy at the gas station, there was a Muslim guy there that he had been sharing the gospel with. They got up and shared about him as a person. And it was just very obvious, the more and more I heard about this man, this young man that I knew, but a lot of other people apparently knew in a different way, it was obvious that he was full of grace. And so by the world's standards, he's nobody, but, but what's so great about this is because of the gospel at work in his life, people saw him as a different person, and that's all that was said about him the whole time it was funeral. By the world's standards, he's a failure, but as a believer in Christ, this is what, he was a light in a dark world. And so what stands out about you? Are you like Stephen? Do people recognize you as some the most prominent thing that they would say about you is how God is working in your life? We could be known for a lot of things, but are we known for the main thing, that Christ is at work in you? And this is what they saw in Stephen. He was a common man. He was a common man that did supernatural things because the Spirit of God was at work in him. Now this is, of course, one of the right ways that Stephen was full of grace, because people saw the Spirit working in him. But there was also a message that Stephen proclaimed that went along with the Spirit working in his life. And that's what we're going to see next. Verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and it was of the Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those of and Asia, rose up and disputed Stephen. Stephen, uh, sorry, disputed with Stephen, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Now, who are these people that hate Stephen's message These were, in Acts 6, we see in verse 1, these Hellenistic Jews. And this, they came, these locations that they came from was this location right outside of Palestine. And the synagogue of the freemen were those Jews who were once enslaved, but they were now free. And they became angry at Stephen because they, and they said that his message was blasphemy. And of course, later we're going to see Stephen's message, that's the entirety of Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is preaching the gospel. And later he became, he was killed and he became the first martyr martyr of the early church. But why did they despise his message? These were religious people, right? These were religious people that were involved in the synagogue and they hated his message. Certainly, the ones who were of the freemen's synagogue, those ones who were once enslaved, would now be free. They would get the gospel, but however, this is not the case. Let's see how they dealt with Stephen. Verse 12 They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they seized him, and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs and Moses, that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like an angel. I love this text because it, it reminds me of Moses at Mount Sinai. That's the way they would have saw his face. His whole countenance was different. But they, they accused Stephen of blasphemy. You blasphemed against God. Three different ways they did that. They said, you, you are against this holy place. I said, you're against the law. You're against Moses' his customs, which is really Israel. And interestingly enough, This is almost identical to what the religious crowd accused Jesus of. And let me show you, let me break down each one of these things of why they believe this way. First of all, they said that he blasphemed this holy place. The unbelieving Jews wanted to hang on to temple worship. They believed that the temple was the dwelling place of God. Think about it. They would have grown up their whole life with this custom that they would go to the temple knowing inside the temple behind this veil that separated the common person or the the priest from the presence of God would separate man from the presence of God. God's presence would dwell in this temple. So they would go to the temple to have their sins temporarily forgiven, and then every year a high priest was allowed behind the veil but what we're told in the Gospels is that when Jesus died on the cross, all of that changed. In fact, I'll even read to you Matthew 27, verse 50. When Jesus cro- cried out with his loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Which means now we don't go to a place for the presence of God, we go to a person, and that person is Jesus. So now we have direct access to the Father through Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. And so what happens, as Stephen would proclaim this message of the gospel, you no longer have to go to the temple, now you go to Jesus, and now you have direct access to the Father through Jesus, and now it's for everybody, not just for Israel. Can you imagine how angry this may have made people feel they believed that you have to go to a place and not a person and so this became a threat to a religious israelite who wanted to stay under the old covenant and so this holy place was one of the ways that they were angry at stephen but the second one was the law they said it's the holy place and the law you spoke blasphemy against the holy place and the law the message that Stephen would have preached, and we see him, we're going to see him preach that in Acts chapter 7, it's not about what you do, rather it's about what Jesus has done in your place. That's the gospel. It's not about what you do, rather it's about what Jesus has done in your place. And this was not the message that the religious elite unbelieving Israelites would have taught. A religious non-believing Jew would have said it's all about what you do. However, the old covenant law was never meant to be something that stayed in place. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Galatians 3, verse 23, it says, but when faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being Shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by the law. Nope, it says by faith. But now faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you all baptized in the Christ have clothed yourself with Christ there is no, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, if you are all one in Christ Jesus. How does Paul describe the law? He says it was a guardian. It's sometimes translated a schoolmaster or teacher, but it's a better way to translate it is actually a nanny or a babysitter. I grew up as a when I was a young man, I had babysitters that would come in and out of our home. My dad worked a lot, specifically in the summers, and so I'd have babysitters that would watch me. And I would always try to screen the babysitters. I would always try to figure out how they were. This is before I was a believer, and I remember this. We had this really strict Christian babysitter, and I was like, "Oh, this is not going to work." And so I remember going to my brother's room and pulling out all of his posters. He had just moved out, and he left all of his like '80s rock posters like Megadeth and Metallica, like the real Iron Maiden. If you remember those guys, real gory, like satanic rock posters, right? So I posted them all over my room. And so when they screamed my room, I was like, I love this kind of music. It's all satanic music. I remember telling this babysitter that. She never came back. True story. But the point is, all of my babysitters were temporary, The goal of a babysitter is not to stay there forever. If they do, it's just weird, right? Because I'm going to grow up. I don't need a babysitter anymore. I don't need a tutor anymore. And so the reason that Paul uses this term guardian, he's referring to a nanny or a babysitter, really emphasizing the temporary nature of the law. It wasn't supposed to be there forever. It was supposed to be there for a time to prepare Israel for Christ to come. And this is why the religious Jews hated the message of the gospel of grace because the law was their way of keeping people out and it was the way that they measured how righteous they actually were. But the problem is the law never reached their heart. The law was all about the external things that they did, not surrendering their heart to Jesus. And this is why we need to be careful for how we present ourselves, specifically, parents who have children who want to—they want to raise in a Christian home. By, but the danger is we can give our kids a lot of rules or good Christian acts like this: a good Christian goes to church, a good Christian obeys these rules, a good Christian reads the Bible, a good Christian gives, and we begin to do this. A good Christian listens to type of music, and we can do this, and they start to act like the cultural Christian and obey the rules. But we didn't make a Christian by doing that. You make rule followers by doing that. You make law keepers by doing that. What makes a Christian is the grace of Jesus in their life, and the gospel has to penetrate their heart in order for them to be a believer. You can't manufacture a believer. But this is why Israel wanted to hang on to the law. You can manufacture a God-lover. But that's not the gospel, which brings me to the next problem that they had with Stephen's message. They said, You blasphemed against this holy place, against the law, against Moses and his customs. Here's what they would have thought. They would have thought that Moses and his customs, that's Moses, it would have been like the beginning of Israel. And this is the way, by teaching the law the way that they did, by wanting it to be all about Israel. This is the way that they would have kept people out. But what does the gospel do? The gospel supersedes an ethnic people. The gospel was now accessible through Christ to anyone who repented of their sins and they believed in Jesus Christ. And that's true even today. If you even look again at Galatians 3, Verse 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is a message for all who believe. All across the world, the gospel can be accessible. And here's the problem. They wanted it to be just for them. So who is this guy saying that it's for other people? No, it's for us. It's for those who came from the line of Moses and from Abraham and the, the offspring of Abraham. They didn't know the offspring of Abraham is everyone who believes. But this is the problem with the religious mindset is it loses the idea of Grace. And here's what I want us to see this morning. It's the gospel that causes us to be full of grace. Constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel is what keeps us from being like the religious crowd who opposed the message of the cross. And we have to keep a couple things in mind this morning as we see this. This crowd who opposed Stephen, they thought they were right It wasn't like they were intentionally conspiring with Satan and demons. They didn't have like a secret meeting and like, oh, that's the gospel. Let's try to change that. Let's try to oppose Stephen's message. No. They thought they were right. They thought this is how one is made right with God. And this happened because they were comfortable in what they believe without ever looking at their heart and asking the question is, how is God really changing my life? And let that be a danger for any of us, not just the religious crowd, but any of us. One of my fears is that integrity, we could create a new type of legalism. I know we have a certain way that you can dress here there's no dress code and integrity but I don't want it to be like oh that person wears a suit they must not love Jesus like we can go the opposite way with it we can go the opposite way with it oh that person listens to Christian music they must not love Jesus like we go the opposite way of and we become another way to be legalistic that person doesn't use the ESV translation they must not love Jesus as much as I do That person's not reformed theologically. They must not love Jesus like I do. That person doesn't drink beer. They must not love Jesus like I do. Like We can go the opposite way with it if we're not careful. Because it can just be a new type of legalism. A new type of looking righteous and appearing righteous on the inside without ever really having our heart consistently transformed by the gospel. And so let us not be an exclusive people. The Old Covenant, this is a reminder that the Old Covenant was a distraction from the true gospel. It is the way that people were kept out. And of course, the gospel is an offensive message, but nothing that we do should be. And we need to remember that the gospel is what broke down the wall of hostility between us and everybody else. And so this morning, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 as a reminder for how the gospel transforms our heart and we become people who are full of grace for everyone. Ephesians 2, verse 12, Paul says this, remember that you were at a time separated from Christ. That's all of us, by the way. You were alienated from Christ commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's all of us. For he himself is our peace and who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit amen and then a wonderful reminder of what the gospel has done in our lives you who were once far off now brought together. Now you don't come to this physical temple. You come to the holy temple, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now it's for all who believe in the gospel, all over the world, for those who believe in the gospel. And we are brought together because he's broken down the dividing wall of hostilities. We were once aliens and foreigners, and now we're called sons and daughters. And it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done in our place. And so here's our prayer this morning, that we would be people who are full of grace. And when others see us, they would see Christ in us, that we would not give someone a reason to reject the gospel, but we would, that when people see us, they recognize that we are people who abide in grace and grace alone. May that be Integrity Church. God, help us. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us, and we're grateful for the grace that you've given us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would remind us of the gospel every day, that you would remind us that you have broken down the wall of hostility, that the gospel can be accessible for anyone who believes. Lord, would you do that this morning? Lord, would you show us grace upon grace? And Lord, for those in this room who have never believed in the gospel, would you by your spirit cause them to repent of their sins and belief? Would you draw them by your spirit to yourself? And Lord, for those who are believers this morning, help us not to boast in ourselves. Help us not to be full of religious pride as we see in this text. Help us not to add to the gospel but to abide only in Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' good name, amen.